Welcome to another episode of a special podcast we like to call From the Archives. These are hand-picked sermons and sermon series preached in our church over the years by some of the pastors, elders and special guests we've had the privilege of listening to. We hope and we pray that as we listen to these classic messages, we'll be challenged in our walk with Jesus and encouraged to trust in him more and more. That being said, let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the final instalment from the archives of our podcast looking at the Dummies Guide to Discipleship. Now, what I think is fair in all organisations is the last one in is the one who's given the, well, less enjoyable tasks. And when we were preaching through this series, I think it was about 2014, Matt Bounds had not long joined us on the eldership team. So during the month of August, every elder had an instalment to give. And Matt had the dubious pleasure of preaching, teaching on the topic of giving. Now, no one particularly wants to speak about money in church, I don't think. Um, But this genuinely is an absolute belter from Matt, putting our giving really in the context of the gospel, really in the context of our worship and responding to the grace of God. So it's not so much a sermon about how much money we can get out of you as a church. In fact, it's not that at all. But it is a sermon about you, your heart, about the goodness and the kindness and the generosity of God and how we respond to that, even in how we use our money. I should shut up and hand you over to Matt. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Amen. Uh, I'm going to need you to use your imaginations this morning. You've got to imagine that we are this morning in the temple courts, uh, the temple in Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. So... There were various courts, as you may well know. The outer court was called the Court of the Gentiles. Everybody was allowed into that, including if you weren't a Jew. So if you like, the car park in the area surrounding the building is the Court of the Gentiles. You all would have been fine to go into the Court of the Gentiles. Once you come within the Court of the Gentiles, you then got, and this is the Bible saying this, I don't want to get myself in trouble with half the congregation this morning, but there was then the Court of the Women. Now, you were allowed that far, provided you were an Israelite. It was called the Court of the Women because that was as far as the ladies were allowed. So, if you can imagine this morning, the main hall where you're all sat is the Court of the Women. After the Court of the Women, as you continue to go into the temple, you then had the Court of the Israelites. If you're an Israelite man, you were allowed to go further in. Privileged. So, let's imagine the stage is the Court of the Israelites. If you were a Jewish man, you were allowed that far. After that, as you went towards the temple proper, even deeper in was the court of the priests. If you were a priest, you were allowed that far in. You were allowed in the privileged place where the the band stand this morning. 
And behind that, you then had the temple proper with the holy place and the holy of holies. And of course, the holy of holies, only one person was allowed to go there once a year. That was the high priest. So can you, can you kind of picture that? How you get further and further in towards the holy place, towards the holy of holies. But the, the court of the women, where you're all sat this morning, was the place where a lot of the temple business went on. Because if you were a Jew, male or female, old or young, that was where you were allowed. That was where a lot of the things happened. Now, to try and explain a bit more of this to you, I do need some help. You could probably see this coming, couldn't you? So if you are a young person, if you're a child, could you come forward? I need quite a few of you to try. That's a relief. They're starting to come. To try and illustrate some of this. And what happened that, that day as Jesus, well, Noah, Jesus, seriously, guys, I'm going to need more than this. Okay, I'm going to have to start raising the, the criteria. If you're 16 or under, could you start coming forward? Come on, Steph. Come on, Thomas. Anybody else? It's starting to come. Well done. Yeah, got a bit of movement up in the balcony. You're going to have to move fast, guys. Brilliant. So, uh, we're in the court of the women. And in, in the court of the women, there was, there was a colonnade around it, a covered colonnade, though most of it was open to the, the open air, to the sky. And in the walls of the, the court of the women, um, now you guys, most of you, you're going to have to be a wall, okay? Do you think you can be a wall for me? Okay, can you, so I need a really straight line. That's great. And look like a wall, look wall-like. Excellent. They're really good at this, aren't they? So this is one of the walls in the... They look like the band, don't they? Uh, this is one of the walls in the court, <laughs> the court of the women. That's a scary looking wall. Okay, now I also need two volunteers from amongst the wall. I, could someone volunteer to be a rich person? Yeah. I'm saying nothing about the family concerns. Steph, you'd like to come here then? Could the wall close up a bit? You close the gap in the wall. Brilliant. And now, you might not be so keen to volunteer for this, but I also need somebody, actually this is going to need to be one of the girls, to volunteer to be a poor lady. Well, well done, step out. Right, Noah, could you close that? Brilliant, nice straight wall there. Okay, now, in the, 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 the wall of the uh, court of the women in the temple, there were 13 collecting boxes, well not boxes, they called them trumpets or shofars because they were trumpet shape, they were made of brass but upside down with a narrow bit at the top and the wide bit at the bottom. I thought of asking somebody from the group whether they would mind bringing one of their brass instruments this morning but I didn't think they'd go for it. So you're going to have to use your imagination, I said you would have to. This is one of those boxes, collection boxes, we'll put it right in the middle of the wall, could you hold that for me? Hold it by the handle and hold it out in front of you, brilliant. So, Stefan's the rich man. Steph, if you were, uh, let's bring it up to date. In these, this day and age, today, if you were rich, what sort of house would you live in? Small one. <laughs> Again, I'm going to have to have a word with this family afterwards. No, I think you might live in a big, posh house, maybe a Nantuck house in Carmarthen, yeah. Uh, what might you wear if you were rich? Work with me, Steph, work with me. What might you wear if you were rich? A suit. I'm so glad he said that. A suit, okay. So if you could put this on for me, Steph. I don't know why you're laughing. This is my best suit. <laughs> Marks and Spencer's. Show them, Steph. Come here. Face the uh, congregation. Yeah. Let's have a, a tie with your suit. Fantastic. Doesn't he look smart? <laughs> okay, so this is our rich man. Now, what the rich would do, they would come along with their big bags of gold. Can you take all that, Steph? This is my money. I want it back afterwards. And could you hold the, the collection thing out? 
and tip it all in there. What sort of noise is this going to make if he's rich? <laughs> that was pretty loud, wasn't it? Well done, Steph. Come and stand here, rich man. Now, then came along this widow. Now, widows these days uh, might be quite rich. But in those days, if you were a widow, you weren't. End of story. 99% of the time, you were poor. There was nothing to support you. You had no man in the household to support you. You would be poor. So we now have the rich, uh, sorry, the, the poor widow. What might a poor person, this is where I could get in dodgy ground, I know, but I'm going to go for it, wear today? What might you wear? Rags. I haven't got a rag, but I've got an old, um, I've got one of my hoodies, if you could put that on. I haven't washed it for a couple of weeks, so it's nice and smelly. Could you put that on for me? Well done. Um, also, <laughs> this is the best I could do this week, honestly. If you could put your scruffy, smelly hoodie on, that's great. Can you smell it there? Thank you. Uh, and how about, let's put a baseball cap on. Oh, yeah, put a, base, put a baseball cap on backwards. I have a feeling maybe setting some stereotypes here, come to think of it. <laughs> but this is our poor widow. Now, she comes along to give her money. Now, I did have a photo of this. The money she gave, the two coins, the, the mite is called in the King James Version, was actually a Greek lepton. A lepta was a coin, one of the smallest coin the Romans and the Greeks used. They're your coins. If you could put them in the collection box, what sort of noise is this going to make? Pop it in. Two little tinks. Thank you. And it's this lady we're going to look at this morning because Jesus pointed her out to the disciples and she has much to teach us. So as I'm going through this morning, can you picture the wall and the shofars in the wall and the collection and the rich and this poor widow because it's her we're going to focus on. Thank you, guys. Uh, can you take the clo- give her a round of applause? Can you get those off? I do need those. Thank you. So that's what you've got to try and picture as we're looking at this story this morning. This, this poor widow, and she was really, she was dirt poor. She's coming to give quietly in contrast to the noisy giving of the rich. And there would have been many rich coming along. It was Passover. The temple would have been bustling. It would have been full, noisy, smelly with all the sacrifices. And there would have been many rich people there going along and ostentatiously dropping in their offerings. Then this poor widow comes along and she puts in what's the equivalent as best as I could work it out to 20 pence pieces at the most the lepton was one hundredth of a denarius a denarius was a day's wages for a laborer so you can see how little money it was she was putting in 220p's at the most and in it goes and I would imagine that the rich people watching her maybe there's a condescending smile maybe they actually sneer at her Um, maybe there are frowns Certainly once the disciples have explained to them that she's just put in everything she's got for that day, I would imagine they'd be frowns. Some of the disciples thinking this woman is crazy. Various negative reactions, but not Jesus. Jesus' response to her reaction to is very different. So we're looking at her this morning. I thought, as I was thinking about this over the past weeks, if this is for all of us a dummy's guide to how we use our money in God's service, where better, what better place to start than to start with the basics? to look at this woman and what it was that she did and then compare our lives to hers. What was, this, what was it this woman did? Three things. The first thing she did, what she was doing that day in the temple, was heart worship. You know, of all the opinions that were given about her, um, one of them might have been, as the disciples watched her putting in her two pennies, well, what she has given there 
is, is irrelevant, really. In terms of the upkeep of the temple, the house of God, it's not going to achieve anything. It's nothing. It's irrelevant. Disciples, possibly, after Jesus explained to them what she'd just done, thought she was completely over the top. Jesus says, in effect, and if we read the passage in context, this is what we see. No, what she's doing is worship. What she's doing is worship. As you read through Mark up to this point and get to chapter 12 of Mark in particular, what you see again and again is Jewish people confronting Jesus, trying to catch him out, trying to cause trouble for him because they're engaged in a hypocritical religiosity. It's not true religion. It's hypocritical religion. They keep all the commands. They do what the law prescribes, but their hearts are a million miles away from God and they're hypocrites. And Jesus continues to expose this again and again when he confronts the Jews. One guy in Mark chapter 12, if you look back a few verses, he gets close. He uh, gets into a debate with Jesus and says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus then says, it's this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. That's from Deuteronomy 6. The Jews knew that and still do today as the Shema, Shema Yisrael. They, they recited it every morning and every evening and devout Jews still do today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Jesus says to the man, you're not far from the kingdom of God because he realizes how important that command is. But everybody else through Mark chapter 12 is engaged in hypocrisy because it's outward religion, not inward religion. And then you get this little story at the end, the widow's offering. And Jesus points her out to the disciples and he approves of what she's done. So do you see what's happening here in context? Jesus has said the most important command is love the Lord your God with your everything. Everybody else in Mark 12 fails to do it. And then you get to this woman, this woman and Jesus says, look at her. She's living it out. This is heart worship. You see, you can't even begin to try and keep that command unless your heart has been changed. Unless the Spirit of God has worked in you and you've put your faith in God and his promises. And we know that his promises are all about Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. You can't even begin to keep this command unless your heart's been changed. This woman's heart had been changed by what we call the gospel. We don't know how much of it she understood, but she clearly understood something of it. She believed God's promises. She believed the deliverer was coming. She believed God loved her. And if he, she responded to him in faith, she could be forgiven and saved. She believed all that. And so she wanted to respond to it. And she lived it out that day in the temple when she put in her two 20Ps. And Jesus knew it and he pointed her out. This was heart worship. You see, if your heart's been changed... And if you love Jesus, it touches, like it did with her, it, it touches your purse. It touches your wallet. It's been said, hasn't it? You've probably heard it many times here before. Often with people who profess to follow Jesus, the last thing that's saved is their wallet. But it's supposed to be saved along with the rest of us. You see, she was living out the Shema, the hero Israel. She was living out that command and she was giving her everything. That's what happened that day. This was heart worship. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 8. The, um, the John Stott leaflet that uh, John mentioned is excellent. And it's basically an exposition of 2 Corinthians 8 where Paul is getting the Corinthians, trying to encourage them, exhort them to give and give sacrificially. And Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you by his poverty might become rich. See what Paul's doing there? He is tying their financial giving to the gospel. See, giving is about the gospel. The way I tend to think is the gospel is what got me saved. The gospel is what I come here and praise God for on a Sunday morning. And then, then there's the, the, the messy business of managing my finances and giving something every month to the church. No, the Bible says. The Bible says our whole life should be surrendered up to Jesus as worship. And that includes what we do with our money. What we do with our money should be about heart worship. Giving is about the gospel. Because the gospel is about giving. God gave his only son. Isn't that what the gospel is about? John 3.16, he gave. What did God give? Well, can I put it this way? Put it another way. How much did God hold back? You can respond if you like. How much did God hold back? Nothing. Our heart worship is meant to reflect that. And part of that heart worship is how we manage our money and how we give. Giving is about the gospel. And that was the case with her. This was heart worship that Jesus saw in her. But it wasn't just heart worship. The second thing about this giving that she engaged in was it was hard worship. It was really, really hard because it involved everything. But don't you find her starting point really interesting? You see, most Christians I know, including myself, when you get into a conversation about money and giving, there's a word that crops up really early in the conversation. It begins with T, tithing. And you get the whole debate, which I'm not going to get into now because John covered it brilliantly uh, some months back when he preached on Malachi 3. Go and listen to that. It's important to consider this issue of tithing. But isn't it interesting? That's where we usually start, and we usually make the tithe 10%. That's my starting point when I talk about how I manage my money for God and how much I give. What's this woman's starting point? What percentage does she start with on that day anyway? 100%. Now, I, I, don't, I don't mean to imply that she gave 100% every day. She'd have been dead. She'd have starved. But on this day, she gave 100%. If you were one of her friends, you'd be watching, don't put in both. Don't put in both 20 pences. Keep one back. Go and buy a, a bun from Lidl or something to get you through because you don't know when the next bit of money's coming in. Don't give it all up. No, she gave it all up on that day. And I think that indicates all the other days of the month, she may not have given 100%, but she gave a lot of what she was able to give, of what God had first given her. See, her starting point was, it's all God's. I know the trouble is, I've heard this sort of message before. I've sat in the congregation. You hear that? Yeah, it's all God's. I agree with that in theory. Let's switch off and start thinking about lunch because that's just too uncomfortable. But that was her starting point. This is why Jesus puts the spotlight on her and points to her in front of the disciples and says, look at her. Look what she's just done. Her starting point was 100%. This was, this was heart worship, but it was hard worship. She just wanted to give out of love for God because of what he'd done for her. Incidentally, she wanted to give, the natural thing for her was to give to God's house. Her first thought wasn't, are the priests and the Levites really going to use this in exactly the way I would like them to use? No, she just wanted to give to God and she didn't do it by throwing her money up in the air and saying God can catch hold of whatever he wants. No, she gave it deliberately and it hurt her to do it. And she must have thought hard before she did this. You know, again, when I've looked at this passage in the past, I've always thought of her giving as being spontaneous. You know, she's walking past the temple that day. She's got 40p in her pocket. She's going to buy a bit of bread to get her through the weekend. So, oh, do you know what? I'll give this. I'll just go and give this in the temple trade. Do you think it was spontaneous? I, I think spontaneity is overrated anyway. Because normally when we give spontaneously, which is a good thing to do, it's because we've got plenty of money in the pocket. I think it'd be nice to give a word of this to the church or to some worthy Christian cause. But no, 
she must have thought about this, wasn't she? I don't know if it was for minutes or hours or days, but she must have thought about this. This is going to make me hungry. I don't know when the next money's coming in. This is going to hurt. She would have thought it through, and yet she went and did it anyway. Now, on the one hand, I find that incredibly challenging and very uncomfortable. On the other hand, I find it incredibly encouraging. So if I can put it this way, and some people in this room are going to be in this category this morning. If you are a Christian who doesn't have much income, maybe you're a Christian, you're struggling with debt problems, debt issues. Maybe the last thing you're thinking of doing is giving some of the money that God has given you back to him. But the encouragement from this passage is this morning, it's not about the amount you give. It's about the attitude of your heart when you give. And not only that, but the, the hard slog of managing your money. And it's hard. It's stressful. You know, debt is one of the things that causes terrible stress and terrible damage in people's lives. And if that's something you're facing, you know how difficult it really is. Do you think it was easy for her? And yet the way she used and managed her money, her financial discipleship, if I can put it that way, she realized it was all part of her worship. I find that encouraging because it means if one month I'm sitting down and scratching my head and looking at the online bank account and trying to figure out how I can give and how I can better manage my money for God in response to his gospel grace, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when it's hard slog, that's part of my worship. See, Hard worship is heart worship. We, we, we get into this rut, I think, of thinking, I, I, I've said it myself, worship's a spontaneous thing. It's a heart thing. It's an emotion thing. Worship's what I do, maybe this is what you think, when you come in on Sunday and you sing the songs like we've just been singing, and you close your eyes and you lift your hands and your, your heart is lifted up to God. That's my worship. And as I stand there worshiping, I think, yeah, that's worship, Lord, but I'm struggling this month. Keep your hands off my money. No, this story tells us it's all worship, including the wrestling to manage your money. The Rob Parsons book is excellent. You might have Christian friends you can sit down with who will help you with this. On the notice sheet, there's an app that's mentioned for your iPhone to help you budget. That is what we do is we separate the practical and the spiritual, don't we? We think the spiritual heart emotion stuff is worship. The practical day-to-day stuff, that's not worship. That's the practical stuff over here. No, it's all worship if we do it for God in response to the gospel. Because our giving is about the gospel. Because the gospel's about giving. This was hard worship. But she did it for God in response to what he'd done for her. It was heart worship and hard worship. Can I ask you a question? What do you think her face was like? And she dropped the two coins in and walked away. I, I, th- I mean, I, admittedly, this is only speculation. But in context, given what she was doing, she was worshipping, I think she would have had a smile on her face, a peaceful smile. Because this is worship to her Savior. Because he, God, her Savior, had given so much for her. Now, she probably didn't realize how much God had given. She probably didn't realize that God the Son was sat yards away looking at her through human eyes. She didn't realize the depth of the cost, but she wanted to worship God in response. This was heart worship and hard worship. The bit I wanted to finish with, just to encourage us, though, is this. It's heart worship. It's hard worship, what she did, but it's also a double delight. It was a double delight. It was a delight for her. That's why I mentioned the look on her face, and I think it was a smile. What she did was serious, but it was a joy. What she did was hard, 
But she enjoyed giving to God, I believe, because she was living out the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. She was loving God. She was loving her Savior. It was a delight for her to give. And I asked myself this week as I was preparing, when did I last delight to manage my money to God's glory? When did I last delight to do that? It doesn't mean a spontaneous welling up of wonderful emotion as we're managing our finances for him. But what it does mean is that we consciously remind ourselves, I am doing this, Lord. I am managing this money, which is all yours anyway, for you and for your glory, because I love you because of what you've done for me. And I can delight in it. Now, I'm guessing 95% of us in this room, maybe more, need to pray about this and say, Lord, help me to delight as I manage my money every month in such a way as to glorify you and in such a way that I can give to your work in the church. I can give back to you just a portion of what you've given to me. And as I do that, Lord, I realize my starting point as I calculate how much I should live on and how much I should give, my starting point is 100%, not 10 Show me how to do this, Lord. Show me how to do it for your glory. Help me to delight in doing it. Wouldn't that trans- transform our financial discipleship? Wouldn't that transform our daily worship if we could do that? It can be a delight for her like it was a delight. Sorry, it can be a delight for us just as it was a delight for her. It's a double delight, though. It didn't just delight her. It delighted God. Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus pointed her out to the disciples because he approved of what she was doing. Now, I know if we know the gospel and we know our Bibles, we start to get nervous at this point because we think, well, hang on, I'm put right with God by faith and faith alone, by trust in Jesus alone. I am not put right with God by good works. And we get nervous of good works. We get nervous of the idea of trying to please God. And it's true, we cannot please our way into heaven. We cannot do good works and say, see, God, you need to let me in. No, we trust only in Jesus finished work on the cross at Calvary. But once we've come to faith in him, once our hearts have been transformed and we want to live out that great commandment, once that's happened, it is right and good for us to want to please God. Kevin DeYoung's book, The Holy and Our Holiness, talks a lot about this, how it's good for us as Christians to want to please God. Lots of Bible references I could read, but here's just one of them on this subject. Hebrews 13, verse 16, the writer to the Hebrews says this, Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. He's not just pleased when we sing songs of worship to him. He's pleased when in the muck and the grime of everyday life, you struggle to work your way with help out of debt so that you can glorify him and give something back to him. He's pleased by it. Your father is pleased. Jesus is pleased, just like he was pleased with that woman on that day. I just thought I'd close with that because, yes, it's heart worship that we're called to, we're challenged to to commit to. Yes, it's hard worship. If it's hard this week, this month, this year, don't start to think, well, it's, it's just too hard. This isn't worship. No, it's hard worship. But it is worship. And it doesn't just delight us. It delights him when we manage our finances and give this way. I was racking my brains trying to think of an example. I should have checked this with Thomas beforehand because it involves him. But I'll close with this example. Um, when Tom was, I think he was two, three, something like that. He was little. He wasn't getting pocket money at this stage. Big mistake, by the way, starting to give kids pocket money. He's already negotiating for more. Now he's eight. But 
he wasn't getting ready to get a pocket money at that stage, but on this occasion, I'd given him a pound or two. I think it may have been around his birthday. What happened was a week or so later, Thomas came up to me and said, Daddy, here's a pound for you. I said, no, Thomas, it's all right. Don't worry. He said, no, Daddy, ha- have this pound. And he said something like, go and enjoy it. <laughs> I think I think I'd must have said something like that. He said, go and enjoy it. Or he may have said, go and buy a coffee. He knows what I'm like with coffee. Um, and do you know, when he did that, do you think that he bought him favor with me? Do you think I loved him more as a result? Do you think I accepted him as my child because he'd given that pound back to me? No. Did it enrich me? Well, no, I'd given it to him in the first place. It didn't enrich me. It didn't add anything to me at all. But it did delight me. I think it delighted him, and it delighted me when he gave it. Isn't it the same with us and God? We cannot enrich him. I'm not standing here this morning saying, give to Amherst Evangelical Church because God needs your cash. Because he doesn't. He just doesn't need your money. You don't enrich God when you give it. You don't buy yourself into his favor. He loves you. He gave his son for you. You know that if you trust in Jesus. But when you manage your money in a way that glorifies him and give to his work in the church, in the house of God, when you give back to him, it can be a delight for you and it will delight his heart if you're doing it in response to the gospel. Because giving is about the gospel because the gospel is about giving. Well, that's it for another episode of our From the Archives podcast. We hope that you found it challenging and encouraging. And as always, we'd like to offer you a few quick next steps that you can take right now. If there's anything that you'd like to discuss or any questions that have been raised, please do contact us via email to contact at amfordchurch.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in the life of the church, make sure that you like us on Facebook. And lastly, why not check us out on YouTube, where you'll find additional teaching to complement our regular sermon podcast and our From the Archives podcast. Thanks for listening.